Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so happy you tuned in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. Today on the podcast is someone who is known for sharing her practices and dedication to self-love. In the last year, she pivoted her business of self-love to have more of a focus on chronic illness as she herself has psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Nitika Chopra has been sharing her journey living with a chronic illness more than ever lately, and she's here to talk about what made her decide to expose more of herself. So welcome, Nitika. Thanks for having me, Harper. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Oh, sure. Well, I'm Nitika Chopra. Um, That's my name. And I teach people about self-love. I create content that focuses on the conversation of self-love. But I really have a focus on the chronic illness community now more than ever, as you so beautifully said. I've lived in New York for 17 years, but I was born in Ohio. But then I've also lived everywhere from like India to Hong Kong to Cairo to Singapore to New Jersey. So (laughs) I'm like, I don't really know. I'm from God, I guess. And I'm here on this earth. That's kind of the most accurate answer that I can say. Do you see yourself in New York long term? Yeah, I think I've had a couple of years since I've been here, like on and off, where I've just, I'm a questioner about life anyway. So I've just kind of been like, is this what I really want? Is this the pace that I want and the intensity that I want and all of that? And the truth is, yeah, I think this is like where I'm meant to be. I think there's elements of nature, like the ocean and like being around like sea animals (laughs) that like I want to incorporate into my life somehow. But other than that, my parents live in New Jersey now. They lived in Hong Kong for like 10 years and they moved to New Jersey. And I think this is like where my heart is, you know? So, yeah. I get it. Born and raised. Really hard to imagine being anywhere else. Yeah. So you were diagnosed with psoriasis at age 10. How did growing up with a chronic condition affect your childhood? It affected everything, you know, and it really shaped me into the person that I am. And I feel like that's probably something a lot of people with chronic illnesses would say. I learned over the years, although it can feel so, you can feel so alone, it can feel so isolating. It's like very much the same pretty much for everyone, just in different degrees. But yeah, for me, when I was 10 years old, I was chubbier than everyone I knew. I had darker skin than everyone I knew, except for my immediate family. And I wasn't good at school. And so like there were all of these environmental you know, like my life type things that just were really hard um, before the health even got there. And so then when my body started to change and I started to get psoriasis patches on my body, um, it just felt like everything turned against me. Like that was the truth that I believed as a kid for sure for a really long time. And I had so much evidence You know, and I feel like that's something a lot of people with chronic illness also feel is like if something in their life isn't working out or they're not where they want to be or they're not dating or married to who they want, it's like and then your body is also being kind of a jerk. It just kind of can feel really, really exhausting. And 
overwhelming in every sense of the word. So I definitely experienced that, you know, being 10. I had no idea about like any of the things that we talk about so easily now. Um, And it, it affected me physically in so many ways. Like I pretty soon, I always forget like the exact timeline, but I feel like one day I had one spot and then like a year later I was like covered 98% of my body. And I was like that for about 16 years of my life. So, you know, I I would wake up in the morning with like bloody sheets because I scratched myself to, you know, bleed in the middle of the night because that was the only time I couldn't control my hands. Um, or I would be in school and bleed through my jeans because I would scratch so hard. I um, know it so well. Yeah, I know. I know you do. And um yeah, it's just – I mean, I think about it a lot because I'm like people who don't deal with chronic stuff, it's just so hard to help them understand that like even taking a shower was traumatizing for me. Like I didn't ever want to touch water, you know, and I love like the ocean and the sea and like all of that. So I, I don't even remember how hard that part was for me as a kid. I'm sure that was hard. But just the everyday, like I remember trying to like – take a shower, like run the water so my mom would think I was taking a shower and then take like a washcloth and try to like wash myself so that I wouldn't get hurt in the shower. And just all these things that like um, I think through therapy and a lot of different work that I've done on myself, I've seen that it creates this level of kind of control and OCD and like you want everything to be a certain way just so you're not in pain or not sick. So I mean, we could have a whole episode just about that. It's just been layered and layered and layered. What did it do to your confidence? You know, confidence is an interesting thing because I've always been born with – I think I was born with this, like, belief in myself, which doesn't make any sense, (laughs) to be honest with you, with the life that I had for a very long time. But I I think that's, like, where my faith in something higher than me comes from because I don't really think it was, like, in me. I think it was really in God. And then I was like, I'm going to be fine. Like, things are going to be fine because of that belief. But then there's this other side of it where it's like at the deeper level, I didn't really feel like good enough or pretty enough. Like I would – I remember so many days I would come home from school and like look at my mom even and she's like beautiful and she has like the most beautiful, you know, brown skin and it's like soft. And I remember I used to just lay next to her in bed and like rub her arm because I was like I wanted to be like that so badly. And and no one I knew until I was much, much older ever. I had never known anyone who had psoriasis. And I think that's also common with a lot of people who get diagnosed, maybe not even if it's just early in life, but it's like, you know, at a time in your life where you've just never been exposed to that stuff, you can just feel like you're the only one. Um, So, yeah, so in terms of confidence, it's like such an interesting layered word for me because I feel like it's not just one thing, you know. I had a belief in myself, but then deep down – I really didn't think I was good enough in a lot of ways because of the way that my body was showing up. Right. So you were 10 with that diagnosis. And then when you were 19, you were diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. What symptoms did that bring on? Yeah, that was crazy. Um, I, I I tend to actually like not think about that as much because I focus so much on like the visual nature of the psoriasis but when I was 19 I was I remember being I remember it so vividly I was like in my college dorm at the University of Hartford in Connecticut and I like remember I used to eat a lot of cereal because it's like I was in college (laughs) and um, you know it's like all we could eat and I remember going to open you know the inside bag of the cereal 
and I couldn't open it. And I remember that so vividly. Like, I didn't understand what was happening. It was so weird. It was like an out-of-body experience, actually, because I was like, this doesn't – this is not computing. Like, my brain wasn't computing what was happening. But I couldn't open it. And then finally, I think – I mean, I don't know why I didn't just use scissors, but I think I like, <laughs> went to get, like, a roommate to help me or something. Um, and I was just, like, really confused by it, you know? And then slowly but surely – my whole body started to become affected. And so, like, I have several joints that are just permanently, like, deformed and and um, a couple that are, you know, permanently damaged because it was before I started treatment for them and stuff. And it just – again, it's one of those things, like, when it's happening, it almost feels like it's, like, it's like an out-of-body experience even though you're so – it's happening to your body. It just feels like you can't – I can't even understand it to this day sometimes, you know, how – I was one way one day, and then, like, 30 minutes later, it feels like I was a totally different way, you know? Yeah, so, okay, so you can't open this cereal box. How did you then decide to seek help and see if there was something going on further than this diagnosis you received when you were younger? Yeah, well, at this point, I think my parents had just moved to Hong Kong. They lived in India for my first year of college, and then they moved to Hong Kong for my second year for the next 10 years. And I I had my mom, and I really appreciate this about her, because we're, like, we're Indian and, like, there's, like, a lot of natural, holistic remedies that we try to use. My mom didn't know a ton about that, but she was always, like, a very natural-leaning person. She never wanted me to try any, like, internal medicines. And I think that was the right move, actually, even though I probably could have had relief much earlier on. We just did some regular topicals and just dealt with it, kind of. Um, But also biologics and other drugs have come so far, right? So I never really had that. But then at this point, when my arthritis started to flare up, the reason why it started to flare up was because I had just tried my first internal medicine, which was a pill that I had to take every day. And it's like a very antiquated old medicine. And I had never taken an internal medicine before. But the reason why I had decided to do it was because my psoriasis was like, you know how your lips crack and bleed in the winter? My whole body became like that. So I like could not function. And so it was just a quality of life thing. Like I was 19 years old in college and I could barely move, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's the worst time to be dealing with this. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's no good time. It was like the True. height of the crappy times. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I just felt like – so I had gone to the doctor about that and like the medication. And then within six months, like 60% of it came back. You know, it wasn't – I mean, it never fully went away either, you know, all those things. And so with that doctor, I kind of shared, I think, my symptoms with him and was just kind of like, okay, well, what's this that's happening now? And I didn't even know psoriatic arthritis was a thing. You know, so many people who have psoriasis to this day don't even know about the arthritis part of it. And you don't necessarily get both. And you can sometimes just get the arthritis and not the psoriasis. But, yeah, it was messed up. (laughs) So how do you manage your health now? In every moment. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think anyone with a chronic illness would probably agree in every single second, I feel like I work on managing my health. Um, I do it primarily – like, so when I was 25, I hadn't taken a medicine except for that one. And I took that when I was 19. And then I went, like, five or six years without taking any medication because I was so scared after that incident. And then I also learned about the secret 
And I thought that I could like manifest my health. Don't even get me started. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to take medication because I was like, okay, well, I just want to think positively and like try to be a good person. And like maybe that's what this movie is telling me that I can do. So maybe that'll work. Um, and I was genuinely really scared about medication because I thought like if it messed me up this much, like maybe it can, you know, do something worse. So I didn't take anything for a long time. And that was during like the worst years of my life. Like I got married, which was great. But then I also got divorced. And that was really painful. And I was pretty much like mostly bedridden for much of that time because I I couldn't take the subway stairs. Like I couldn't chop vegetables. I had a hard time getting myself dressed. You know, it was really brutal for many, many years. And so after that, it was just kind of a turning point in my life where I was like, okay, well, I believe in God and like the power of positivity and maybe God made medicine for a reason. It was literally my conversation with myself. And I called my mom in Hong Kong and was like, mom, this is what I want to do. I'm going to try again. And so I started taking a biologic when I was like 25, which was 12 years ago. And I, you know, it was really a choice of my bones were starting to deform. And so it was really interesting because like I go back and forth being a part of the wellness industry, you know, it's like for a long time, I felt ashamed that I had to take a medication and I don't at all anymore. I'm actually like very proud of myself for taking medication um, because I'm doing something that's like helping my body so much. And it's also just hard to be on medication. Like that tender, you know, compassion towards myself is really important part of the journey. So I started taking a biologic and then I went through ups and downs with like food stuff. You know, I had been taught at 20 that food made a difference. And then I was like, screw it. I don't care. I want bagels. And, um, you know, and then when I got on my medication and then my psoriasis got so much better, like super fast. I was like, oh, well, now I can eat anything that I want, (laughs) which was not – that's not it, you know. So it was a lot of up and down with that. And then at the same time, because I have always been a very spiritual person, it's been a lot about, you know, getting that spiritual health in alignment and also, like, the emotional health in alignment. So that's, like, how I manage my health. It's a really long answer for a seemingly simple question, but it's just not – it's not linear, for sure. It's all of those things. And it's not that simple. Yeah, it's not. Well, and you brought up this this sort of shame around medication. And it's something mm-hmm. that I can really, really relate to because I'm the kind of person that I'm at the point where I, I think I need to be on these drugs based on working with my team. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, like, these things are going to keep you alive. And I feel good because of these drugs. But there's a part of me that says... If I had a certain diet or I did things a certain way, would it heal me and let me manage my health the same way? And it's this controversy that I regularly have of, oh, but I have to be on these drugs because it's a really rare condition. And, you know, I I feel icky about it, but I defend it because I realize it's helping me. Yeah. And yet there's a part of me that goes, what would happen if I didn't take these drugs and I navigated things differently. And there's no right or wrong way. Everyone's got to figure out what works best for them. But it's interesting to hear you say, like, you're in this wellness world. And I'm sure there's people that would have issues, oh, yeah. let that be their own issues, around you being this wellness person mm-hmm. and yet taking drugs. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of unsolicited advice out there. I mean, you know, you're a part of my Facebook group. I'm like, I get pissed about the unsolicited advice because it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. So you, not you, but someone coming in and saying like, oh, but I know. I'm just like, what the hell is going on? It's exhausting. And um, that's like a whole other conversation in itself. But, you know, what I have personally, and I agree, it's such a personal thing. I try to tap into like what my heart is saying as often as possible. And what I realized just like a couple of years ago, I realized I had fallen off again of like not taking care of my body and my food as much as I could have. To other people, it's like, oh, she eats so healthy. And it's like, no, because for my body, I wasn't eating the way I needed to. So that was like one layer. And then a couple, then like the last year, maybe this year actually, I just started to feel like, you know what, I think I'm ready to try to see what my body, if my body can be okay without medication. But I'm working with an acupuncturist who has really helped me like embrace the fact it might take a really, really long time. And I think that has been really like um, empowering, I guess is the word I would use, because you know, when I started working with this acupuncturist, I was like, oh, you know, oh, I, I'm here because I want to try to get off my medication soon, like whatever. And she's like, how long have you had a chronic illness? And I was like, 27 years. <laughs> she's like, um, OK, so you should give yourself about a quarter of the time that your body has been dealing with this to try to heal it. And she's like, it doesn't mean it has to take that long. Might take longer, might take less time. But that should be your rough estimate. For me, that's about seven years. What did hearing that feel like? It was scary at first. It was scary at first, for sure, because I am an Aries and I'm a New Yorker. And I'm just like, I want everything yesterday. <laughs> um, but after a little while of like kind of repeating it and understanding what that meant, it also felt really liberating. And now I feel like, you know, I'm on two medications right now. And I'm just like, okay. I'm working with my doctors who prescribe them, and I'm slowly decreasing one of them, you know, and then I'm doing that for, like, a few months, and I'm really checking in, like, okay, do I feel okay? Do I feel, you know, I thought I could maybe jump off of the second, the first one I reduced, and my doctor said if I feel okay, I can eventually get off of that one, but then the other day I started to feel like my joints were hurting, so I'm just like, okay, take it slow, like, there's no rush, you know? So I think it makes me feel better just to be in that conversation with my body and know that I'm doing the best that I can. Do your doctors believe in acupuncture and these sort of holistic or health-related things that are not things that they're trained in? Are they supportive of that? Not really. <laughs> you know, I wish they were, but, you know, I, I had a dermatologist that I really liked and then... I don't know, he had, I don't know what happened to him, but he like up and left after like six years of working with him and he just kind of disappeared, which was a really traumatic experience actually because um, I found out like right when I needed to get my medication renewed and oh God, that whole thing. Well, so and I, when you fall in love with the doctor oh, and you feel, you know, devoted years. to them and know that they are trustworthy, yeah. you want to stick with that person. Yeah. It had been years that I'd been working with him. I'd really loved working with him. But anyway, that's fine. So then... I found another dermatologist, and she's lovely. Like, I really like her, but she's definitely a doctor, doctor. Like, she's not, you know, talking to me about 
all these other things. And then I have a rheumatologist, and she's very lovely as well. I really like her, but she's also not talking to me about all these other things. Um, but I do have an integrative doctor on top of that who has been the most life-changing for me, one of the doctors at the Bloom Center um, in, in Rye, New York. And it's great because they do. I tell people about them all the time because they do Skype sessions and you can do things virtually if you don't live there. But that was the biggest turning point was finding a doctor who could not – she wasn't pushing me off of my meds and saying, oh, no, 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 no you, don't, you shouldn't do that and poo-pooing the whole thing. But she's, like, working with my body, you know, to try to support it and understand it better. And it's kind of – she's kind of the glue, you know. And then I have the acupuncturist as well who also is not, like, throwing away all the Western stuff. She's really, like, honoring that and just, like, working with it. That's great that you have this team of Eastern and Western yeah. to sort of pull it all together and make sure you're covering all your bases based on the way that you want to navigate mm -hmm. this. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. It was developed by people living with chronic pain and the people who care for them. Even though over 120 million Americans suffer from chronic pain, you would never know it. Like with invisible illnesses, people with chronic pain don't always talk about their experiences because they don't want to be defined by their condition. Ouchie is the place where you don't have to be invisible or hurt alone. The app uses evidence-backed tools like cognitive behavioral therapy, pain tracking, community support, access to resources, and integration with clinicians to help people feel better faster. If you have chronic pain, celebrate the accomplishments in the everyday with Ouchie. Check out ouchie.com and download the Ouchie app to see for yourself. And make sure you share with them that you found the app through Made Visible. And now back to the show. So when I think about you, I think about self-love. How did you discover the concept of self-love and how did you make that sort of your mission in life? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't even know sometimes. <laughs> I was like, how did I? Um, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's almost something that happened to me. Like, I don't know that I knew that I was seeking it out. I think it kind of I put all the pieces together and then I was like, oh, that's what people call this. Okay. Like that was kind of the way that it went. Um, I would say the first connection to it that I have um, was before I knew about any, I mean, I was, it was when I was married and when I was the sickest that I've ever been. And I talk about this a lot in my work that, you know, even when you're in the lowest point in your life, like in those moments, I would love myself in like the tiniest of ways that made huge differences in my life. So I talk a lot about like using beauty or skincare as an access point to self-love. So when you're covered with scales and like the last thing you want to do is even acknowledge your body, you know, taking some lotion or really soothing oil and like massaging it into your arms or into your feet or something, it's I didn't know it was called self-love, but it was like who I am and what I was doing always anyway. And then a whole bunch of other things, you know, alongside of that. And then when I started my business, which was almost about 10 years ago, um, I, I mean, I, I wasn't self-love focused. I was just like wellness, you know, and just very like broad. And, um, and I think just over the last few years, I guess maybe since my – talk show, which was like 2013. So I guess it's been like four or five years now, you know, that I've been more self-love focused with events and my content. 
Um, and I think it's just because it feels like the most true to me. You know, people ask me a lot of beauty questions all the time. And I always want to be like, guys, I'm not a beauty expert. I just know how to do like four things that work for me. Um, but, you know, I think it's because of my show was called Naturally Beautiful. And I think after that, I just didn't feel like that was never enough. I wanted it to be a deeper conversation. So yeah. what was the premise of the show? It was a holistic approach to beauty. And I always like laugh and think about it because when I auditioned for the show, um, you know, they hired me because of my website that I'd had at the time, which was Bella Life. And it was basically like the show was basically what I had on my website. And I didn't know it existed and vice versa. Um, but I had created it with that intention because I really wanted to have a talk show. And um, so we talked about beauty all day long. And I was just like, this is hilarious. I know nothing about beauty. Like, people are going to look at me and think that I, like, know how to do my hair like this. I don't know how to do my hair like this. I don't know how to, like, put all these different things together and make a face mask. Like, this isn't me. <laughs> but I would always have the thread of, like, okay, you want to feel beautiful. We want to do a makeover. We want to do – but Why? Like, let's talk about how this is going to make us feel. And, like, the external is great, and it's just, like, an enhancement of, you know, what we might be struggling with on the inside. But it's not really the point. So, yeah, I just kind of fell into that, I guess. So those are still things that you address now with your business. But I know in the last year you've pivoted your business, as I mentioned, from the sort of general self-love to focusing more on chronic illness. What made that shift happen? Well, you know, about... I guess like a year and a half ago, it was like the middle of 2016. It was even before the election, but I feel like the election played a huge role in it all. Um, everything went to shit, like everything. And it just felt like, and I've been very open about it, like it just felt like I was on this trajectory of like, you know, doing the show, then doing this, then doing that. And everything was just like click, 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 like, you know, nothing crazy big, but like good uh, progression. And then all of a sudden in 2016, I felt like everything stopped and nothing was flowing. And that was also when I decided that I needed to see a new doctor and it kind of coincided, but it didn't feel health related at the time. And I think by the end of 2017, like a year and a half of being like, what the heck is going on? And feeling like God was trying to tell me something, but I didn't know what it was genuinely, and I would ask all day, every day, and not get any answers. That year of 2017, it was such a rough year, and I kind of let go of my dream that year, you know? And I kind of was like, okay, this has been really hard, and, like, I love myself so much. Like, I want to be okay in this lifetime and I want to follow my dreams, but if it's not meant to happen, and I had never said that. Like, I was like, I don't care what I have to do to make this happen. But what's but this? What's year, this dream? There's so many things. Like, so many, so many, so many things. I mean, what I'm doing right now is the dream, honestly. But um, but you, you didn't know that then. That. Well, I'm doing a version of what I've okay. always done now, but it just kind of stopped flowing for like a year and a half. Like all the brand deals and all the different partnerships and all the different events and opportunities. It just like all the yeses became like, I can't right now. Mm. And I would ask all these brands like, did I do something? Or like, you know, because I'm all about being the best version of myself. So if I, I was like, if I didn't give you something I said I would or if I pissed you off or anything, please tell me. 
And every brand was like, no, we love working with you, but we can't right now. And I think it was politically part of it. I think a lot of the influencer conversation had skyrocketed and a lot of brands had gotten burned by a lot of influencers. I think there was like a, you know, myriad of different reasons. But um, but yeah, so I just kind of last year, I was like, okay, God, like I want to do this, what I'm doing like forever and more, but I want to be healthy and I want to be able to support myself at the same time. And if I can't, if, if you're trying to tell me that I'm not supposed to do this anymore because of whatever reason, like I'm, I'm okay then. Like I don't want to be sick and trying to do this. And so all year I kind of was in an inquiry. Like what is this other thing that's like trying to birth that I can't see? I don't understand what it is. I don't feel like I'm so off base of what I'm supposed to be doing. But something's not aligning. And that was kind of the conversation I was having with myself all year so that when I would meet people, I would ask I – I put myself into this like task of what's the thing that you want to tell everybody when you meet them? Like what's the thing that when people say what do you do? Like what do you wish you could say? And I would practice sometimes. Like probably the year 2017 I told like everybody a different thing than I did for a <laughs> living because I was just practicing and trying things on. And chronic illness was always the thing that I was like, I know more about chronic illness than I know about anything in this world. And I just want to talk about it all the time. I want everyone to understand it better. I want everyone to be better with people that have chronic illnesses. I want there to be more compassion. I want people to feel less isolated. Like it just – it's the kind of thing that like if I, you know, didn't have to work for a living, like I would just do that all day long. You know, and I'm so grateful that I get to work for a living and do it all day long now. But, um, but yeah, so that was a long answer. But that's that was the truth of, of how I got there. So how did you actually pivot the business? What shifted? Well, really, I just was like, okay, I don't know. This feels crazy. And it's so weird because a lot of people probably don't even think that it's like that big of a change or such a drastic whatever. But I just felt like it was such a big shift for me. And I was like, okay, well, I have this idea of doing a Facebook group. And I was just like, well, you know, literally, like, no one could care about this Facebook group, okay? But I'm a person – I'm very scrappy as an entrepreneur, as most of us are. And I was just like, okay, it's free, right? So if I put it up on Facebook and three people sign up, like my mom, my brother, and my dad, then, like, (laughs) it's fine. No one has to know. (laughs) Like, I can delete it. And that's it. And so – I just kind of thought, like, why not? And I started the group. And it's not like it's, oh, my God, like 15 million people in three weeks or something. Oh, it's super small. It's like 500 people. It's like a year later. (laughs) It's not, you know, it kind of plateaued around 500. But the engagement and the authenticity and the level that I felt like I was able to help people was magnificent. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And I also just felt like I was learning so much for, like, the first time in a long time, you know, like, when you do things that, like, you kind of master them and it's like, yeah, I can do this in my sleep. It's no big deal. I remember calling my mom, like, after two weeks of having that, you know, group open and I was like, mom, I know we thought I had it bad. (laughs) These people are freaking champions. Like some of the people have like five or six illnesses and I I've never heard I never heard of your condition before. I've never heard of so many of these conditions. I had no idea that they even existed. Like are you kidding me? And they're like thriving. You know, my group in particular is not like a kind of 
let's go and complain group. Like I'm pretty particular about that because the energy. Which I love about it. Thank you so much. Um, But yeah, you know, so I learned so much. I was like a sponge, you know, and still feel like I am. So, yeah. Have there been any downsides to sharing your story and making it more around chronic illness? Um, Have there been downsides to being public about this all? I think sometimes I feel like because it's become so deep and so personal, I think sometimes I'm not as great about turning it off. Um, And so (laughs) I can be a little like – I'm very strict on my boundaries because they affect me like physically so much. I mean, they do for everyone, but I'm like pretty aware of it, I guess. So I think that's like the one downside is that sometimes I don't know how to just like be. And a lot of times like people – like actually I had someone text me this morning um, and I don't know her that well, but she's a great girl. And she was like, oh, I have a really good friend who's – you know, really interested in connecting with you and she's got a chronic illness and she's a single mom and she just like really loves what you do and she wants to connect with you. And I was just like, can you connect us over email? Like I, my bandwidth is really like stretched right now and it's actually like not good for my health to take on people's, like everybody's stuff. But it's hard. Like I want to take on everybody's stuff. You know, I I mean, there's a part of me that wants to take on everybody's stuff that that feels like, you know, God gave me a big heart, so, like, I wish I could just, like, love the shit out of everyone and, like, we'd all just be happy and, like, that's the end of it. But that's not life and that's not how it works. So just that's probably been the hardest thing. That's a really challenging thing I can totally relate to. I mean, I know you do some coaching as well and it's, like, I want to help my clients so badly and I sort of take on their mm-hmm. stuff and then I have to remind myself that I need to deal with my own things and I don't have all the answers and I'm not the expert in everyone else's health. So there's a way to manage your boundaries and be able to support people and maybe provide some guidance to what's worked for you without taking on all of their baggage. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that I've noticed, you'll go on Instagram, which I know is your real spot yeah. for sharing, and you've talked a lot about having flare-ups. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how you decide when and if you share that kind of information because You can choose how to do this however way you want. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what you share and what you hold back? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, everything always just goes back to, like, my heart and if it feels aligned. That is really hard. It's hard to share that I have flare-ups. And now I feel, like, almost a sense of responsibility. Like, I've created this community and I've created this really – I try to be as open and honest as possible. So, like – you know, my last flare-up that I had that was really bad, I think, was in September. Um, I had, like, a really bad flare-up before I was going to go to a gig for this course that I'm in. And I just remember, like, I didn't want to share about it on a lot of levels because I was like, oh, I don't want this to be happening right now. And I just, like, wish that this was, like, a lie and this wasn't true, you know. But then I also feel, like, for one, it it puts me in a position to have to receive love, which I think is, like, the most positive part of it because it can be so isolating. So I try to look at it in that way. And then, like, for that time, for example, I felt like I, – I felt like an urge. Like, I needed to tell people that I had been talking about this gig I was supposed to do for, like, weeks. I was so excited about it. And then – you know, I had to cancel. And I just felt like letting people know that they're not the only one who has to do stuff like that was kind of important. 
So it's just a gut check. I mean, it's a gut check anytime I share anything, not even just flare-ups, you know. But anytime something comes up, I'm always just like, do I really want to share this? Does this really feel right? Does this feel true or good or, you know? It's um, it's a practice. And what kind of response do you get when you share things like that? Mostly it's people saying, like, thank you for showing me that I'm not alone, you know? And that just means everything to me because I, I felt so alone my whole life about my illness, you know, my illnesses. And so I, sometimes I'm, like, dumbfounded. I'm just like, how am I – how? Like, this is crazy that I just helped you feel less alone. Like, that's mind-blowing, just that to me. So, yeah, so that's usually – the hardest – the other hard part is, like, people ask me for advice, and I just feel like – I mean, I said this, I think, yesterday on my Instagram. People are always asking me, like, what to eat for my chronic illness, and I'm just like, go to your doctor. <laughs> like, which is kind of bad because I feel like I'm giving advice about a lot of things, but then – I'm just telling you what I'm doing. That's, like, really all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, you should use this, and this is the only thing. I don't believe in that, you know? So that's kind of a little challenging, too, because people – I set this platform up, and then people come to me for advice, and I'm just like, I don't have any advice for you. Go to your doctor and find out what's going on with your body. Yeah, I think that's the issue with social media is that Mm -hmm. people see your life, and they're like, oh, she does this, and she eats that, and she spends time with these people. How do I get access to a life like this? So if they can start eating and consuming the things that you do, maybe they can be more like you. Yeah. And there's no one way that fits for everybody. So it's got to be hard to manage this, like, this is what works for me. Yeah. Go explore your path and figure out what works for you. I always talk about this example of, I remember when Eat, Pray, Love came out Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Gilbert was on Oprah. And there were these three women in the audience who had gone and done exactly what Elizabeth Gilbert did. I'll never forget it. And I remember them going to each of the same countries, meeting the same people, eating the same foods. And it drove me wild. Like, how can you possibly think it's okay to go down this exact same path and expect exact same outcome as opposed to figure out your own and carve your own path? Yeah. So I appreciate that you acknowledge like, What's benefiting people and what is where you have to remind them you've got to figure out your own way of doing this. Yeah. It's uh, it's a balance, you know, because sometimes I feel like I'm pushing people away because I'm just like, yeah, just the last couple of days someone asked me about like skincare for PCOS and I was like, I don't have PCOS. I don't know. I don't know. What, what does it even mean? Like. I don't even know what that question (laughs) means. And then someone else asked me about, like, osteoporosis. And I was like, what are the symptoms? Like, I don't know. I know, like, generically that, like, your bones get brittle and whatever. But I'm like, have vitamin D? Like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Who are you to give that advice? Yeah. And I really feel that way. And I almost feel like you shouldn't be asking me this. Like, why are you asking me? Like, this is not – but people, you know. People are desperate. People people are are seeking answers. And I I think they probably feel – Like you do have answers for yourself, so maybe you can help them too. So do you have any advice for business owners who are considering sharing their health journey? There have been people on the podcast and people I've talked to who are debating if it's going to affect their business and their life if they share, you know, enough about their health that maybe they'll stop getting clients and people won't take them as seriously. Oh, no, don't listen to that. That's just total crap. I feel like, but I get it. I mean, I have compassion for it because I think I struggled to share my health journey. I always shared it, but not in this capacity at all. So I get the stress around it. 
But I also just feel like the one thing I know for sure is that people want the truth. That's it. You know, so if my truth is I'm having a flare-up today, even though I'm supposed to be this, like, pillar of health, that's what they want. They want to know the truth of what's going on. So if your truth is that you've had health issues or you have them still or whatever, or you're scared or you're stressed or whatever it might be, they want to know the truth, you know. And I think it, it can be tricky because there's some emotional health that has to accompany sharing the truth. And I think... Brene Brown talks about it really, really well because she's so cerebral but also, like, emotionally very in touch at the same time. Um, But, you know, like, not being in the wound while you share it and, you know, being cautious of, like, vulnerability hangovers and, you know, all these different things, like, on all those different levels. But I just think that, you know, if you share things with integrity and with the – the desire to be of service, I, th- I just really don't think you can go wrong, even if it's hard, you know? Yeah. So what's been the most rewarding part of doing what you're doing since this pivot? Oh, gosh. There's, like, unlimited number of things, to be honest with you. I That's think, a great thing. <laughs> yeah. It's really been so rewarding. I think it's, like, my whole life feels very different now. So I feel like it's hard to sum up in just one or two things, but I think – It's kind of what I just mentioned, like being so honest about my truth and then like not settling for anything less than that from like my people I work with to people I meet to like just everything in my life. You know, I feel like that's just changed everything for me and it's created a much richer life experience. So I feel like I'm actually helping people in a way that is deeply fulfilling and is a total dream come true. Um, and it's very humbling. And I also am like enjoying life more than ever before because I feel like it's real and it's like based on the most true parts of myself, at least for me in this moment. You know, my truth is always going to be changing. But yeah, I love that so much. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and learning more about your health and your journey towards self-love and sharing it with other people. How can people learn more about you and connect with you? Sure. So the best place is Instagram, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I'm at Nitika Chopra, and I am going to be launching a podcast, depending on when this episode comes out. Um, It's going to be launching January 2019. It's called The Point of Pain. And um, it's going to be fun. So definitely check that out. Yeah, those are probably the best two places. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.